My mission is simple, to make you money. I'm here to level the playing field for all investors. There's always a bull market somewhere, and I promise to help you find it. Mad Money starts now. Hey, I'm Kramer. Welcome to Mad Money. Welcome to America. Other people make friends. I'm just trying to make you some money. My job is not just to entertain you, but to educate and teach you. So call me at 1-800-743-CBC or tweet me at Jim Kramer. All right. How do we parse today's broad-based gigantic rally? Dow gaining 466 points. S&P surging 1.8%. Bye, bye, bye. And the Nasdaq soaring 2.32%. Oh, boy, this was some crazy action. Stocks of all flavors and sizes running, including stocks that really should not be rallying at the same time. From a certain perspective, this move looks like it's being driven by totally contradictory theories about the future. Take the election. Today, the market traded like both Trump and Biden are going to win. Seemingly impossible. But that's what the action seems to be saying. I mean, let me give you both perspectives, though. On the Republican side, with the president now feeling better and set to leave the hospital, they're betting he'll get a big bounce in popularity. Not unlike what happened to Boris Johnson in the U.K. after he got sick. Yes, Trump is expected to leave Walter Reed Medical at 6.30 p.m. Though we're, of course, monitoring the situation. We're going to keep you updated with the latest. Now, if Trump emerges from this thing physically unscathed, or even better than that, as he claims on Twitter, maybe he can make a comeback and win the election. That's the argument he started making today. That You shouldn't worry so much about COVID because we've got some great drugs that can beat this thing. On the Democratic side, though, Biden's been getting some strong polling numbers, much better than Hillary's four years ago. It's increasingly looking like a a landslide victory. That's a real possibility. The Democrats want this election to be a referendum on COVID. Even if the president is fine, the White House turning into a a coronavirus hotspot, it's just called bad optics for the GOP. Even though Biden wants to raise corporate taxes and capital gains taxes, and that is just not great for the market... There are a host of stocks that presumably do better under Democratic leadership. Those stocks, the China stocks, they roared today. For example, we saw big gains in anything that benefits from a more harmonious relationship with China. For good or ill, a Biden administration simply won't be as tough on the Chinese government. That's fantastic for the semiconductor stocks. That's a key leadership group. Does a ton of business over there. And the semis were on fire today. Lots of tech was on fire. And that's China-led. Don't forget Caterpillar, the usuals. Of course, only one candidate can actually win the election. Genius. But maybe there's a way to square the circle. I think that what we got today was the removal of uncertainty. President Trump is not going to pass away from COVID, thank heavens. And we probably won't have a contested election because some people think Biden's polling so well. Now, there's nothing the market hates more than uncertainty. Take it away. Stocks go higher. Now, don't get me wrong. I'm not called an electioner. That's a sucker's game after 2016. I'm just telling you what I see in the tape. The tape speaks to me. I am translating the tape and telling you what it's saying. Now, if Biden has a strong hand, that may turn into a strong hand for Speaker Pelosi in her negotiations with the White House, which makes a stimulus bill more likely. The market needs some steam, some kind of stimulus package if it's going to keep running. Of course, the American people need stimulus package if they're going to keep eating. And the anticipation was palpable today. Talks continue. Assuming we do get another bailout, that means the government will need to borrow a fortune. So, of course, interest rates are soaring. While that's bad news for the housing stocks, which pulled back from all-time highs this morning, it's great for the banks. 
thank heavens, which report next week. If they can argue that business will get better with higher rates and show they're doing well with the market's newfound volatility and record stock issuance, a possibility, then some of the financials might suddenly become viable, not all of them. The second worst group in the market, well, it could turn positive, and that would be a big deal, especially because they report next week. Meanwhile, the price of crude roared! mostly because of stimulus hopes. That took up the entire oil complex, which is the worst group in the market. Now, I am begging you. I'm not going to get on my hands and knees to do it, but I am telling you, sell, 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 sell. please sell into strength here. There's simply too much supply, which makes it very hard for oil to put on a sustained rally. Tomorrow, the analysts who like oil will come out and tell you to buy it because they can't resist, and you'll get a higher price. Go, go, go. What else benefits from a second round of stimulus? Okay, well, there's the remodel trade. I saw uh, earlier on, on um, well, Melissa's show, people were talking about buying Whirlpool. That makes sense. Is that my buddy Tim saying buy Whirlpool? People are stuck at home. They, want, they, they have more money. They'll spend it on their houses. Ew, work from home. Make your home better looking. That's why these stocks won't quit. Now, my favorites, of course, now are Best Buy. That stock soared. Adding that one to the list. Home Depot, Lowe's, Walmart. Target, Costco, I told you that stock would get that pullback and you had to buy it. Now, by the way, I also am now adding this one, the much hated Bed Bath & Beyond. And I know it's run a lot, blow a quarter last week. Maybe if it comes back, maybe it comes under 20, take it in. Never forget, this means buy on the desk. Never forget, stimulus means buy retail. But here's another contradiction. Normally when interest rates shoot higher, they're now at levels we haven't seen since August. You're supposed to sell the turbocharged growth stocks. That's what you're supposed to do. That's the so-called handbook. But not in this market, though. The biotechs all trade together. They're supposed to be down. Uh, but they're all packed into these ridiculous ETFs. So when one of them gets good news, like Regeneron, which makes the antibody cocculus seem to work on the president, takes up the entire group. Regeneron stock roared $40, which dragged up the rest of the industry, even though this sector normally wilts with higher rates. It didn't hurt the Bristol Myers, just paid a gigantic 61% premium for another biotech acquisition, which is myocardia. This deal reminded us that many stocks could be worth a lot more than we thought. More on this later when we speak to the CEO of Bristol Myers, Dr. Giovanni Caforia. What else? Well, the market has what I call bell cows, and the loudest may be <laughs> NVIDIA. The world's top chip maker talked about new supercomputers harnessing the power of their semiconductors for drug development. You can't beat that theme in this environment. NVIDIA's brilliant CEO Jensen Wong, in his amazing conference today, said he wants to dominate the data center and artificial intelligence. Do not bet against Jensen, all right? Never! I know you weren't thinking of doing that, but I just want to make it clear. Finally, there's the oddest theme of all, the term, the V. Yes, the amazing rebound in manufacturing that as many Republican senators are holding out against another round of stimulus because we're doing so well. Today, we got some preliminary truck numbers. That's a very good indicator of the economy. And my head was spinning like Reagan in the exorcist. Never been able to do that. You know that 32,000 class eight units up 160 percent year over year, 55 percent month over month. I mean, what is that? Small trucks were also doing strong, too. Now, I am astonished that we can have such strong manufacturing economy, especially when we're seeing huge layoffs in the service sector, like all the people who work at the 500 Regal Cinemas that are closing. But the auto industry is on fire now. Why? Because you've got people coming back. They've moved to the suburbs from cities. They, they have that mass transit they don't want to take anymore, so they need a car to get around. It's an incredible undiscovered bull market, except for we all see it in the used car place. Take a look at Carvana, CarMax, AutoNation, Lithium Motors. You know what's my favorite here? I can't believe I'm saying it. It's a reveal. We call that a reveal. Ford! 
That's right. I'm actually warming up the fort. I know. I know. I know. I mean, I swore. I swore I would never warm up to it. I said over and over again, I would never, ever. Wa- I'm warming up to it. OK, why? Because not because it's at seven dollars, you Robin Hoodites. It's because the company seems actually determined. To not lose money. Where's the old Ford way? Uh, anyway, I love the new electric uh, F-150 that's coming out in 2022. I already asked my wife if she wanted it for her birthday. She said no. But in the interim, I am floored at how well the used F-150s are retaining their value. That's the way to tell what a car or a truck is worth, the used price. It's not often that all roads lead higher. In fact, it's as rare as a parcel comes to the sun. No, no, I didn't say full. Can't be total. Because uh, someone pulled the plug on the restaurant stocks, and I didn't like the action Zoom video, which closed at 485 at 500 again this morning. With a few exceptions, though, the bottom line is that this market's taking its cue from a funny thing happened on the way to the forum. Something familiar, something peculiar, something for everyone. A comedy tonight! But let's not overthink this. Last week was totally insane. Today felt less uncertain. Even if the action made you think that whoever wins this election, we're going higher. As long as we don't have to wait weeks for the actual results. More man money ahead. I've got the CEOs of Bristol Myers Squibb and Slack. And of course, we'll bring you the latest about President Trump's departure from Walter Reed. I would stick with Kramer. Don't miss a second of Mad Money. Follow at Jim Kramer on Twitter. Have a question? Tweet Kramer. Hashtag Mad Tweets. Send Jim an email to madmoney at CNBC.com or give us a call at 1 800 743 CNBC. Miss something? Head to madmoney.CNBC.com. Merger Monday's back in business. This morning, Kramer Fade Bristol Myers announced that it's buying Myocardia. That's a clinical stage biopharma company focused on cardiovascular disease. Big cost, $13.1 billion in cash. Now, I've been a big fan of Bristol Myers ever since it acquired Celgene, giving itself a huge anti cancer franchise. The Myocardia deal makes the pipeline more diversified. Their lead drug is a treatment for obstructive hypertrophic cardiomyopathy, or HCM for short. It's a chronic, often lethal disease that makes it harder for the heart to pump blood. They should be ready to file a new drug application for this wonder drug in the first quarter of next year. Now, it isn't cheap. Bristol is paying a 61% premium for this thing, although I'm not so worried about price, given that the stock actually rallied today. But do not take it from me. Let's check in with Dr. Giovanni Cafario. He is the chairman and CEO of Bristol-Myers Squibb. Learn more about this deal and what it means for business. Dr. Cafario, welcome back to Mad Money. Thank you, Jim. All right, so Giovanni, Thanks for having me. this is a big deal. And it's one of the big deals because it's got uh, – it addresses a market that is gigantic, that there hasn't been anything for a long time. And perhaps more importantly, this is something that would make it so that there's another leg to the stool of Bristol-Myers that we want so much. So tell us why you're willing to pay such a big premium for it. Well, thank you, Jim. Thanks for uh, thanks for having me. It's a really important day for us. And uh, uh, we announced the acquisition of Myocardia. As you know, Jim, the acquisition of Celgene was one year ago. And uh, 2020 has been an important year in which we've made great progress. We built a strong foundation as a company, and now we are further advancing our strategy with the acquisition of Myocardia. Uh, Myocardia is an important company uh, because uh, they've developed a really interesting approach to the treatment of cardiovascular disease, which is a precision approach. 
the uh, the lead asset for myocardia is Mavacamptan. And as you said, Mavacamptan is potentially uh, revolutionary medicine for the treatment of a very serious disease, obstructive HCM. So this is a genetic disease that basically thick thickens uh, the muscle of the heart and doesn't enable the heart to pump blood is very serious. There are 80 to 100,000 patients with the disease in the U.S. alone, and the symptoms are serious. Shortness of breath, inability to perform normal activities. Some patients have severe arrhythmias, and they can die from sudden cardiac death. So very serious disease. And Mavacampton has shown significant improvement in cardiac function, in symptoms, in quality of life. So it's potentially a really important medicine that uh, can be filed with the FDA right. uh, in the first quarter of next year and could launch at the end of next year. All right. So, doctor, one of the things that I thought was interesting when my father had this, they gave him an ablation, uh, which frankly was a, a not a great operation. Uh, many of my friends have actually, as we get older, had ablation. It seems like it's a terrible way to be able to solve whatever kind of problem they're doing versus the what, more than 60 percent success rate of this drug. Yeah, there really is no good option today. Some right. old therapies are used simply for symptoms relief. Uh, surgery is uh, uh, clearly uh, very invasive and uh, uh, has significant risks associated with it. So when we saw the results of the clinical trials supporting Mavacampton and the very significant impact it has on patients that receive the medicine, we were enthusiastic. As you know, we have had a commitment to cardiovascular disease for a very long time as a company. Uh, we have been able to successfully build Eliquis into the leading cardiovascular medicine in the world. So in many ways, we are the ideal company to now take Mavacampton through the regulatory steps in the, in the U.S. and then use our commercial and medical infrastructure to launch Mavacampton next year and realize the full potential for patients. Uh, and obviously the full value of the medicine. All right, so one, one other question, doctor. Uh, I had helped, I wanted your balance sheet to get better quicker. Now you've just set it out another year. Are we okay? Dividend okay? People buy this company because it's a great company, good balance sheet, good dividend. Is that at risk? Well, first of all, let me say the performance of our business is very strong. Financially, we've continued to get stronger. We have significant flexibility. Uh, today, we uh, announced the acquisition of myocardia. We continue to be focused on reducing the level of debt uh, and bringing it down to 1.5 debt to EBITDA ratio uh, by the end of 2024. At the same time, we have the flexibility to continue to invest uh, in external innovation and business development is the number one priority for us. So our capital allocation strategy will continue to be balanced. The strength of our business and the level of diversification that we have in our company makes me comfortable. We'll continue to reduce the level of debt at the same time as we can continue to invest in really exciting science like what we have with myocardia here. Yeah, I was surprised that I know the analysts are all good people. They only stuck with myocardia. I've got to ask you, the things that have been happening with Updevo are incredible. You had a series of huge wins, but no one's talking about it. Well, let me tell you, I'm really happy about what is happening with Updevo. We had uh, a number of positive events this year. There's strong momentum. Uh, first, we got approval for Updevo and Yervo in first-line lung cancer. Uh, it's early in the launch, but I'm really pleased with what I'm seeing. Uh, the early indicators are all uh, very positive. 
we had a number of positive clinical trials this year in what's called the metastatic setting uh, in uh, gastric cancer and, and kidney cancer. Importantly, though, I believe the next frontier for immuno-oncology is treating cancers earlier, what we are mm -hmm. calling adjuvant setting. We are the leader in that space with Obdivo and melanoma, and this year we've had two positive studies in esophageal cancer, bladder cancer. As you think about the immuno-oncology uh, in the future, the promise is in adjuvant, and there we have a really promising, a broad and deep clinical development program, and two studies have already uh, yeah. read positively this year. All right. Well, I just think it's it, the stock's gotten way too cheap because it, the growth prospects are even better than ever. Dr. Giovanni Cafario, thank you so much for coming on Mad Money. Always glad to see you, sir. Thank you, Jim. Thanks for having me. Okay, Giovanni's the uh, CEO of Bristol Myers. And guys, this is a very inexpensive stock, and I love this acquisition. Stay with me. Slack Technologies, the business collaboration software play, can't seem to get any traction here. Seems like a natural work-from-home play, right? Well, after initially running from $15 in March to $40 in June, on that theory, Slack started lagging behind the other remote work cloud names because Wall Street's worried about competition. A month ago, Slack reported a solid top and bottom line B. Nearly every line item came in better than anticipated, except for Billings and the net dollar retention rate, which tells you how much additional business they're winning from existing customers, although I thought they were fine. Stock got clobbered, though, because billings and net dollar retention are what analysts watch when they're concerned about competition. And Slack does have some serious competition from Microsoft Teams. We did our own poll, and it looks like right now 5,000 votes, 55% like Teams, 45% like Slack. Still, there's a lot to like here with Slack, and we got to find out more. We have to take control of the narrative to find out what's going on, right? And so let's figure what we're there's a, a great uh, look at these. Look at this panel that we have. Chuck's going to be there, too. Anyway, we're going to try to uh, take back control of the narrative at its annual Slack Frontiers conference. They'll be also participating in CBC's At Work conference that I just showed you right here. So let's get a better read on this thing with Stuart Butterfield. He's the co-founder and CEO of Slack Technology. Mr. Butterfield, welcome back to Mad Money. Thank you for having me, Jim. Okay, so Stuart, uh, before I get started, I know everyone was saying, listen, you got to ask, you got to ask. Uh, the Slack was down today. Now, of course, I believe another company was down last week and no one asked them. But uh, this was not something that anybody was complaining about. They were just asking me to ask you about it. It does happen. And I think it's a real indicator of the critical role that Slack plays in the lives of our customers. And um, it can be quite frustrating, thankfully, uh, largely resolved many hours ago. Um, and uh, it's Frustrating because I think if you look back over the last six months, it's been 100% uptime most months, five nines the other months, um, and we are resolved to do better. So maybe the lesson is don't come on man money. Just kidding, just kidding, just kidding. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, little <laughs> All right, but we got it underway. That's good. Now, uh, I, I've been studying your situation, and I have to tell you that I've come around to the idea that, that people like Slack, but people are told to like Teams. And I tried the, the different steps of, of trying to disable teams to go to Slack. I, I think you're onto something. It's too hard. It is, it is too hard. And uh, we have 130,000 customers around the world accelerating growth in paid customers, which is obviously one of the things that's most important for our, our long-term growth. 
Um, and they're all sizes. And I think there's a little bit of a misconception around Slack's success in the enterprise. If you look at the market leaders in most industries, they use Slack. A couple of um, earnings calls ago, we were talking about Amazon and Verizon going wall-to-wall. Um, this last one, we were highlighting wins in financial services, including Northwestern Mutual and HSBC, but also just you know, companies that are kicking butt. Peloton uh, is a Slack user. Most uh, startups are Slack users. Most software vendors are Slack users. And with Slack Connect, you're starting to see a lot more um, outward pressure and kind of viral growth from those companies' usage of Slack migrating to their partners, their customers, and their vendors. Yeah, I mean, you know, when I was running the street, we got Slack. People thought I was a genius. But I just said I wanted something that was intuitive. Can you explain why people like what's known as intuitive if they've never been on Slack? Yeah, we've been out in market six and a half years. So, I mean, in one sense, it's been a pretty rapid rate to get to where we are today. Um, in another sense, it's like six and a half years, and it's still kind of hard to explain. I, and I think maybe the pandemic times make it a little bit easier because we can say, look, Slack is your office when you don't have a physical office anymore. It's, it's where work happens. But I don't know how helpful that ultimately is. It's always been the kind of thing that people don't know that they want, but once they have it, they can't live without it. And I think the value really comes down to the ability to move messaging from inboxes into channels. And you create a channel for everything that's happening across the organization, every project, initiative, team, business unit, uh, location, functional group. Once you have that, everyone knows where to go to ask their question. Everyone knows where to go to give their update. Everyone knows where to go to get caught up on something. Um, And that's really transformative for most organizations. So your lawsuit that you brought uh, in Europe could happen here too. And the idea is, is that Microsoft's using its marketing, its dominating power in order to be able to take advantage and force people to use Teams. Uh, what do you, can you get a resolution there? Are you going to take them right to court? What, what do you see happening? Well, the way it works is we bring a complaint to the European Commission in this case, um, and it's up to them. So they're actively investigating right now. Uh, we're very confident that Microsoft's behavior is illegal and anti-competitive, and that's what they'll find. But that process takes some time. Right. All right. Well, look, it's always great to have you. And I know that, look, there's people on both sides. My poll said a lot of people like teams, too. But I I chose you when I had the opportunity to go the other way. Thank you so much to Stuart Butterfield, CEO of Slack Technologies. Great to see you, sir. Thanks, Jim. Thank you. Let's go now to CNBC Shepard Smith with breaking news coverage of President Trump's departure from Walter Reed Medical Center. We wish the president well. 